I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the Hello. Movie Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we talk about our week in review, the movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode. Move on to a main event, which is either a main review or topic of discussion, and then finish off with film faves, our respective 12 favorite films around a particular topic, often marching backwards through time. In this episode, our 50th episode, we have a lot for you. After a jam-packed week in review segment, our main event will be a review of How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. And then we're going to continue in film faves our year-long series of looking back at the decade. Last month, we looked at our favorite love stories of the decade. Be sure to check that out if you haven't already. And this month, we're going to look at our favorite animation of the decade. Of course, this corresponds with a series on the blog that will be going through the year, counting down the best films, uh, respectively. So, let's get right into it. But, Shanna, yes, it is our 50th episode can you believe well, that means we've been doing this for roughly a hundred weeks already oh okay we're gonna look at it in that way <laughs> yeah yeah that's pretty cool yeah I, i'm quite having fun with you creating something <laughs> likewise likewise yeah so in april it'll be our two-year anniversary can't believe We've been actually able to remain consistent and and disciplined enough to do this as long as we have so yes, far. Yes, the discipline certainly comes from you. <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate your encouragement and your participation <laughs> in all this. Uh, you would, of course, just as important a part as I am. All right. So our week in review, Shanna, you do not have anything you have seen on your own, as I understand it, as you have been working. Yeah. Yeah. So I have nothing. I am watching a TV show that I'll talk about when I'm finished watching it. All right. Uh, Likewise, I think we'll probably have a TV show for the next episode to talk about. But I do have a few things I want to try to go through here real quick. First of all, I have seen Ashkar Fahadi's film, The Salesman. Ashkar Fahadi is an Iranian film director. He is probably one of the, considered one of the best non-English speaking film directors of the decade. He made such films as The Past and A Separation. I've seen A Separation, wanted to catch up with a salesman. It was the best foreign film uh, at the Oscars a couple years ago. And so basically it is about a man who is a teacher and also he, with his wife, acts in a play in their spare time. And one day his uh, wife actually has an intruder come into their apartment and attacks her. And it doesn't rape or anything, just physically attacks her and runs off. He's trying to find out who is responsible uh, for this during the course of the film. I thought this was a very good film, but I didn't, I didn't think it was as great as A Separation was necessarily. Uh, I felt that at times it does drag a little bit, uh, the, the story out a little bit longer than necessary 
probably about like 10 15 minutes longer than necessary but the resolution is probably not what one would expect from a story like this and it is is interesting and of course it's always interesting as a you know american to see to see films or stories about other cultures and other societies and other ways of life and uh, Ashgar Fahadi's uh, films always are have merit in that regard but um, I, I, I recommend the film but I recommend it as a good film not a great film necessarily it's available on Amazon Prime that's how I was able to catch up with it next on a completely opposite end of the spectrum I watched with my son uh, 1987 I think uh, chipmunk adventure i was curious about this film i was i grew up with the the chipmunk show album and the chipmunks back in the 80s starting in 1983 i believe ran until 1989 if i'm not mistaken and of course this film is based on that series which was created by the son of the original creator of uh, the alvin show back in the 60s you know, the 80s were not a great decade for animation overall. There's probably maybe a dozen tops great or really good animated films for that entire decade. I would say this is just outside the top 10. It's not a great story per se, but what I liked about it was the animation was fairly fluid, uh, and uh, I thought that really helps it kind of stand out and, and is appreciative. I, I really like how how the characters move there is a fluidity to how they move there's an like a, a naturalness a, a realness to how they move there's both human characters there's like principally two human villains who uh, by the way set the the chipmunks and the chipettes by the way which the show introduced the chipettes the female chipmunks uh they sent them on this quest across the world around the world and whichever group is able to um come back intact with all these different diamonds that they're supposed to get in these dolls uh, ends up winning a huge lump sum of money again it's not they like decided they'd have chipmunks do that in yeah i mean i guess they they wanted someone obviously like they didn't want to get caught doing it themselves so they wanted someone who's unsuspecting that um you know the agencies who are, are hunting them down wouldn't ever suspect or think you know it's them uh, yet, I guess the entire time, there's still, like, there's people who are following the chipmunks and trying to capture them. And so I guess the these agencies do suspect us and <laughs> these kids that are doing that. And all the while, of course, Dave is off on a European vacation, unsuspecting that the chipmunks are anywhere but home. Um, who was their babysitter? A woman named Mrs. Miller, who is a regular character in the series. Mrs. Uh, kind of Miller a, is not a good caregiver. A, a, a very daffy lady. There is a scene where there is a parental consent, let's say, that is uh, that is concocted. And uh, there's two scenes, actually, where where Mrs. Miller is under the impression that Dave has knows what's up and, and is under consent. So, wow. <laughs> and it's kind of silly. Uh, definitely, again, not one of the best animated movies you'll ever see. But it is cute. It's not terrible. Of all the animated movies based on TV shows of the time, it might be one of the better ones. 
you know? But um, I wouldn't say it's great or anything. More than anything else, I appreciated the animation and and a couple of the songs are pretty good too. Uh, so that's The Chipmunk Adventure. Not a terrible movie and uh, worth looking back on with your kids. On a similar note, also watched Ace Ventura When Nature Calls. I was kind of curious about this one, saw it with my son. Uh, this is, of course, the sequel to Ace Ventura Pet Detective, whom I believe 1994, this one's in 95, I think. If I'm not mistaken, Jim Carrey had a big year in 94, so it's hard to keep them all straight. But, of course, this is the film where Ace Ventura gets swept away to Namibia? Namibia? Um, one of those African countries, I'm, I'm trying to actually name an African country rather than just saying, he gets swept away to Africa, like a lot of people would say. But it is like something like Namibia, and he has to try to find a sacred white bat and return it to a tribe. And of course, so hilarity ensues. Yes, so war doesn't break out between two tribes because apparently bats have that effect on people. Oh, don't be belittling. <laughs> it's very important to the tribes. I guess. This animatronic fake bat absolutely is very important. You know, this movie still made me laugh. I will say that. It has a... There's a rhino scene. Well, hold on. It has a very clever cliffhanger parody that it starts with, uh, which is, you know, most people these days, wouldn't, that would go right over their heads. Uh, but it is a cliffhanger parody. Uh, I recommend checking out that Sylvester Stallone movie from 1993, by the way. And then get the joke. But yes, the rhino scene is still the best part, uh, the most, biggest standout of the movie. One thing I did notice is that with Ace, though, like, he has zero tolerance for snobbery. He has zero tolerance. He's quite appealing to watch when it's happening. Yeah, like, I think he would play very well to a lot of people these days because he has zero tolerance for anybody who abuses animals. He has yeah. zero tolerance for snobbery, classism. Uh, anybody who thinks they're better than him. And and I think that's where a lot of the hilarity comes about because how he responds to those things, he will respond in a very humorous, um, kind of dickish, but humorous I way. I absolutely love somebody uses a crop on a horse and yes. just isn't stopping. Right. And as soon as that person gets off, he asks if he can see the crop. Yeah. And he whacks that person's butt really hard. Mm -hmm. And it's like... Yeah. I was like, that yeah. is amazing. So for South Africans, this guy's like, well, at least for me, you know, coming from South Africa where you respect animals, like, this guy was a hero, man. Right. <laughs> he was like a real life hero. <laughs> I could totally see that. Um, especially and given... And the rhino scene was very... This context. Not, not a good thing. Well, what makes that scene so hilarious and so effective is the fact that you have an outsider who has no idea going on what's going on watching, uh, which are these tourists who's on a safari. They stop and they see a rhino. They want to watch the look at the rhino, and all of a sudden they see they think the rhino's giving birth, and that's what really sells the comedy of the, this um, this moment. And you know, moments like that are are what makes this hilarious i will say the story isn't as good i mean quote unquote good as the first one i feel like it probably had a better mystery or a better um script again i'm not going to say these are great movies but story-wise it's probably better in the first one but this one definitely has plenty of laughs 
and is just perfect for the a 12 year old or, or a preteen in your family. They will absolutely love and get a kick out of uh, these movies. So uh, that's Ace Ventura when nature calls. Lastly, and probably most relevant, I saw Alita Battle Angel as well. Now, this is the film that James Cameron has been trying to get made for a couple decades now. Eventually, he handed it off to Robert Rodriguez, uh, interestingly enough, of all directors, to direct. And apparently, Rodriguez wanted to make a James Cameron movie, not a, not a Robert Rodriguez movie. This is, of course, based on a manga from the early 90s. And as such, they they wanted to reflect that in the character design of the main character, Alita. Uh, for those who may not be aware, this is set in a uh, future dystopia where there's a great war. You know, this is a dystopia where the society kind of accepts the society as it is. There is, of course, a, a city, a sky, the last city in the sky. Apparently, at one time, there's all these like cities in the sky, which basically represents you know the upper class. No one goes up to the city in the sky. No one's allowed to go up in the city in the sky per se. Uh, but this is apparently where Alita did come from. Um, they basically dump garbage from the city in the sky onto Iron City, and Alita is found in the trash by Christoph Waltz's character. So here's the thing. A, a few few quick thoughts on Alita Battle Angel. I expected this to be a very shallow, effects-heavy, you know, that's where everything was dazzling about the movie kind of movie. It's not nearly as shallow or as predictable even as, as I expected it to be. This is probably the best film Robert Rodriguez has done since Sin City. But it, unfortunately, I don't think it's necessarily a movie that's going to be a classic. I, I don't think, I don't even see the box office as reflecting that people are going crazy over this movie. And um, I don't think it's necessarily worth going crazy over. It is good. It is good. But not great. Uh, it's surprisingly violent for a PG-13 movie. There are not just a bunch of cyborgs who have their body parts taken off taken apart <laughs> but there are people who get killed in horrible ways shanna this isn't a movie necessarily for you because there is a dog Not in the film and things don't necessarily work out well for the dog this is probably one of those movies where articles will pop up over time people saying why alita battle angels better than you remember or that sort of thing there's probably going to be a cult following behind this movie over time but um, what's outstanding about the film is the visual effects. We saw the film in 3D, by the way, which was actually the only film this year that is intended to be seen in 3D. And it is worth it. It is a, 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 a astounding film. I've heard people argue that this film is a huge leap forward in visual effects and motion capture in and how people are captured and the skin texture and the eyes and everything uh, like that. There are some great action moments in the film, some really impressive stuff. You know, this is not going to be, this is definitely not the Avatar of the Year, even though I don't think Avatar is a great film. 
This is not going to be a phenomenon, which is very unfortunate because this film is laying a lot of pipe work for a, uh, a future sequel with a budget of $175 million. It's going to have an, an opening weekend of $27 million. It's going to have a real tough time not being a bomb and being able to justify a sequel. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. I would say it's it's worth checking out, but like have like middle expectations. You know, this is a solid six out of ten film. So that's Alita Battle Angel. All right, Shanna, we have a few things to talk about, don't we? Absolutely. Uh, let's start off first of all with the Academy Awards. The Academy Awards were last night uh, as of our recording. And the biggest thing, okay, I think the first thing we have to talk about is the Best Picture winner, all right? Going into the awards ceremony, I think Roma, based on the film, uh, sorry, the awards season, Roma was the expected winner, maybe the favorite, second to that. I think it was pretty much between those two. A lot of people wanted Bohemian Rhapsody or Black Panther. Black Panther was probably third most likely to win out of all of them, right, based on the awards season. But Green Book won. Shanna, was Green Book deserving of being named Best Picture, or do you think this was a huge miss on the Academy's part? Oh, we're going to start with my opinion. We're going to start with you. I've been talking long enough. Wow. Okay. I don't know if you're going to regret that later. Go forth, please. I think this was a huge mistake. This was not the best film made Mm -hmm. this year. Mm -hmm. If anything, it ranks possibly, I would say maybe, maybe it's, a Star is Born is a little bit better than Green Book as a film. Sure. That means everything else is above it. Uh-huh. You know, you've got something like Vice that's playing with the medium very well. Uh-huh. You've got A Star is Born that's, you know, kind of being a homage to passion. Homage, yeah. But you've got Roma with mm-hmm. the best cinematography mm. happening out there and essentially reviving part of the film media mm-hmm. at medium mm-hmm. sorry you've got the favorite that's bizarrely perfect you've okay. got bohemian rhapsody which is you know just this really fun i think it's just a really fun film mm-hmm. you've got black panther which was amazing and groundbreaking in its own right and then you've got black clansman mm-hmm. which was a fantastic film and spoke about what's happening today how we need to bring our attention to something particular today. Uh-huh. Green Book? Mm-hmm. Not anything like that. And it won. Yeah, I agree that... You look, you, you, Roma... I named Roma one of the um, worst films of the year just because of its script alone, right? But Roma is at least doing something more interesting. Filmically, technically, cinematography, staging, all these kinds of things, then... Green Book. I think Green Book is a very standard film. I liked it more than you did, but I would I would never say it's um, best films of the year, among the 10 best films of the year. Uh, I thought even Vice is a better film, a more interesting film than Green Book is, as nuanced as Green Book is. But come on, like, 
You're talking about a film about race relations. I know they're saying it's a film about love, and maybe that's why the Academy felt like it was the best because they um, maybe they felt we needed a movie that was about love rather than anything else. But Black Klansman also deals with race relations, and it does so in a much more interesting and powerful way than Green Book does. <clears throat> and of course, I I'm going to name check Black Klansman in particular because I actually named in this podcast Black Klansman the best film of the year. And, and to have Green Book be named a better film than Black Klansman is absolutely absurd. Yeah. You know, and as well as several of the other films on the, the, the list, the nominees. So I think this is going to go down in history as one of the biggest, like, what the fucks. This is down there with Crash and Brokeback Mountain and, and several others. Even Driving Miss Daisy from 30 years ago. It beats Field of Dreams and Born on the Fourth of July at the time. It's one of those movies that's fine. It's okay. But best movie of the year? Great film? No. You know? Yeah. I, I think Green Book, I, I can't believe 30 years later we're having another example. Uh, someone very accurately said it's the reverse uh, Driving Miss Daisy. So... But really, the best part of Green Book yeah. is Mashallah Ali, and fair. Although I will not uh, minimize Viggo Mortensen's performance. I think he he does actually give a very he he proves himself to be a very versatile actor uh, over thirty years of work, and this is another example of that. I do like his performance in this film. Yeah, and also uh, let's move it on. Green Book also won the best script. Best original screenplay, which, you know, how do, how do you feel about it being claimed the best written movie of the year over the favorite first reformed and even Vice? I'm skipping over Roma because that's a whole big discussion I don't want to get into. Let's just let you and Roma be settled now. Yeah, okay. yeah. Look, here's the thing. Green Book wasn't interesting at all. Green Book was very shallow in its depiction of race relations. Uh-huh. And... Screenplay, I mean, if you think about it, you've got it's it's against something like The Favorite and Vice, where they actually did something interesting with the film medium. And then you've got Green Book, who did nothing interesting with the film medium. Well, we're talking about writing, the actual writing of the story itself. Okay, I'm sorry, I will correct that. Like, writing. Mm -hmm. Vice, you have something very interesting happening there. I'm always going to call back to this, where, you know, we don't know what happened with that particular situation and we're left to our imaginations and what the script did was it had the two characters speak in a Shakespearean way. You're talking about the and discussion was, between um, Mr. and Mrs. Cheney yes. in their bedroom. And that was fantastic mm -hmm. because it was so creative. Mm -hmm. And then we have something like The Favourite again. Mm -hmm. We don't know what really happened. We don't know what was really being said yeah. between the different characters. Yeah. But man, it got played with really well. Yeah. There is no play. There is nothing. It's just an ordinary piece of work. And it got an award for being ordinary. And that's the worst thing that can happen in art. I, I agree uh, with you. Are there any other uh, are there any other awards that you just like were aghast at or really shocking that ha that occurred last night? I was surprised at first that First Man won for visual effects. Mm -hmm. I really did think that Avengers was going to have it. Yeah, I think because, a lot of people did. Yeah, because there was just so much happening and it was so rich. And then I took a step back and I was like, okay, well the thing is, 
first man was trying to so show something very realistic that not a lot of people are exposed to, so then I made peace with the fact that it won. But it was a surprise. Mm-hmm. How about you? I'm going to go to Best Documentary for a second. Okay. Uh, I feel like the just the list of nominations were a little bit of a mess based on looking at the history of the, the awards season. Uh, Hale County this morning, this evening, uh, Fathers and Sons, uh, Sons were films that hardly anybody really paid attention to, if at all, based on the awards season. Uh, really, it came down to Free Solo, Mining the Gap, and R.A.B.G., um, of those, statistically, uh, Mining the Gap had the better shot at winning. And I find, of course, of course, I'm going to say this because I named it in the blog as the best film of the year, I find Mining the Gap to be the most interesting. Uh, certainly more interesting as a documentary than RBG, which I appreciated the subject matter of RBG, but it is ultimately a fairly standard profile documentary. You know, yeah. Of all the profile documentaries we saw, I wouldn't necessarily think that that would be the one that should be recognized, right? Yeah. More on that in a second. Free Solo is probably the second or third best uh, documentary of the year uh, of, of, of the three that I saw. Absolutely just a spectacular experience, and I highly recommend anybody check that out. I talked about that a couple episodes ago. So that actually took best documentary. I'm not terribly too upset that it did because it is, uh, as a documentary in the process of making it and everything, is a very well done and an extraordinary documentary. However, getting back to the profile thing of uh, profile documentaries, had Won't You Be My Neighbor been actually recognized, which it has been in almost every single other awards show this whole season, and won, I think this would have been a different uh, game. I think Mining the Gap would have had, and Free Solo apparently, would have had stronger competition, and it might have been a different vote. Uh, so that one really stood out to me as, huh, I agree with you about the original uh, screenplay with Green Book. That's just absurd. I feel bad for Spike Jones. He, yeah. uh, Spike, Spike Lee, Spike sorry, um, Spike Jones. Spike Lee, I feel bad for him because he's just always overlooked as a director and he, he's made some of the best films in, uh, you know, in black cinema. And he's really kind of moved the needle and been an important figure in black cinema. And he's gotten like three awards, three or four awards, and most of them are for writing, you know. Oh, that's nuts. He definitely deserves more praise. Yeah. More awards. Yeah. Yeah, so those are the... Was there anything that you were really glad to see? Like, that really, like, was a relief or really warmed your heart to see happen? I was, I was really going to lose my shit if Black Panther did not win Best Costume Design. Mm-hmm. Because they really, really deserved it. The amount of research, the amount of work, the amount of craft that was involved in the multiple outfits mm-hmm. and multiple honoring of different cultures and tribes across the African continent mm-hmm. yep. was just a beautiful masterpiece. And I was going to be really upset if anything else won. Mm-hmm. So I was I was just so relieved and so happy that that one. I was I was very happy that Shallow, from A Star Is Born, won. Yeah, that wasn't a big shock. Yeah, and I think that yeah. might have been A Star Is Born's only Oscar, as a matter of fact. 
I think that was the expected song, mainly the only memorable song yeah. to have been nominated as well. And I was quite excited that uh, Best Original Score, Black Panther, took that. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if you think about all the different pieces uh, of score music that happen in, the best place to think about it is what happens in Avengers Infinity War. Um, you have all these different pieces of music that are recognizable through the years. And quite frankly, the most exciting piece of music that comes on is when we're going to Wakanda. Mm -hmm. So they play the Black Panther piece of music. And I mean, like as soon as you hear those little, I don't know if it's drums. I feel like it's maybe something else that's being tapped. Uh -huh. it's, it's just absolutely thrilling. I was very excited that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse won. Yes. The best animation. That would have been a shock if anything else won, because honestly. Because that definitely was something... That was an example of a win that was pushing the medium. Yeah. Best adapted screenplay. Yes, Black Klansman, hands down, deserved to win. Yes. Having not seen Can You Ever Forgive Me, uh, or if Beale Street... Honestly, Black Klansman and Stars Born is the only ones that we've seen in that category so far. There's very little I could say, but yes, Black Klansman did have a great script. From, uh, between that and A Star is Born, you know. I'm glad that Roma got Best Foreign Film, although I hadn't seen the others. Right. But I'm also happy that, you know, he got Best Director, because you can really, uh, even though I was sad that Spike Lee didn't get it, you know, those are the two that you can really see the directors are really there on top of every shot, on top of every process of filmmaking. Yeah, I I agree with you there. That was that. Uh, bar in my, I do have issues with Roma, but direction was not one of them. That was uh, definitely an expected achievement there. And I think my favorite, you know, speech acceptance speech oh, was yeah. by Olivia Coleman. Yeah. And how she kind of, uh, yeah. you know, flipped off the <laughs> right the people trying to have her wrap it up. I'm very sorry, but if you have. You know, history has shown us that if you get the best actress award, you get to talk as long as you want. So. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely the, probably the award for most charming acceptance speech. Yeah. Uh, going back really quickly, then we should wrap up this conversation. Yeah, costume design. I, I wouldn't have been. I would not have been upset if the favorite had won. I would kind of expected the favorite to have won, but I really wanted Black Panther to win. So I'm really glad yeah. to have seen that. The favorite is really pristine in its costume making, mm -hmm. but it doesn't push the boundaries as much as, and it's not as many outfits. Right. Um, as Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's see. Uh, I felt it was between Rami Malik and Christian Bale for Best Actor, so either one. It was a coin toss. I'm glad to see Rami win. And, oh, the, yes, Best Actress. I really wanted Lady Gaga to win. Oh, yeah. I, I did the stats, and, and I thought Glenn Close was going to be the, the favorite one. And, you know, she actually hasn't been doing as well in the awards circuit as I expected. Uh, really, Olivia Coleman's been really sweeping the awards. And, uh, well, there you go. She took it uh, last night. And it's so great that she did. Uh, I'm not upset that she did at all, as much as I adore Lady Gaga in that film. And, and, and I thought she deserved recognition. Uh, she again she gave one of the most charming acceptance speeches Spike Lee I always think of Spike Lee as a bit of a grump 
a bit of a, a cynic and a jaded, oh, no, but, that guy but got so pumped. he was very animated, <laughs> not just when he won, but oh, during yeah. the course of the the show, you know, he was he was hooting and hollering and doing several things. Uh, he was a delight to see as well. I did like seeing Barbara Streisand and him interact. It was yes. hilarious. Yes, 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 very good. So that is the Academy Awards and our conversation about that. What sort of thoughts did you have about the Academy Awards? We are interested in that. Feel free, feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Okay, so we're running long, so I'm going to try. I'm going to cut our week in review short and just kind of get to the one of the other things that we wanted to talk about, which is and we had to talk about, especially given this episode, uh, Lego Movie Part Two. We did catch up with that. That was intended to be a main review, but the snowstorm really prevented that from happening for us. So uh, we do want to share our thoughts on Lego Movie Part 2. Shanna, what did you like about Lego Movie Part 2? I really enjoyed seeing, you know, seeing the characters that we know and love Mm -hmm. again. Uh So that was exciting. But I also really enjoyed seeing all the new characters and seeing the introduction of, you know, I don't know if you're familiar, but Lego playsets now have this very interesting way of targeting young girls specifically. No, I'm not familiar. And the figurines are not the same as the normal Lego figurines. Okay, they're slender. They're very slim. Okay. They're very smooth. It's mm-hmm. very strange. Okay. There's no angles to them whatsoever. So I have not been a fan of that in the Lego world. I don't think that that was a good move. On their part, I think they should have just stuck to normal figurines. Yeah. So, but seeing them in the context of the movie, you know, seeing them in the movie made me kind of happy to see them. So that was okay. I would just say, as far as uh, this film is concerned, I like the movie. I thought it is doing some interesting things. It has some surprises to it. Obviously, I don't want to get into spoilers here. This isn't a main review. But I don't necessarily think it's a great movie or as great a film as the original. It's, of course, kind of hard to recapture what the original does. And this film does tip its hand a little bit early to what it's doing. There's still surprises. It doesn't, you know, just because it tips its hand, its hand doesn't make it 100% predictable and doesn't give away what happens, what's actually going on. Because I was left guessing, still trying to figure out what 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 Ma- Mama Geddon is and all that sort of stuff that's talked about. It is witty. It is interesting, and it, I'll, I'll say it's also better than the Lego Ninjago film, which I think like since the first Lego movie, the series has had diminishing returns. We had Lego Batman movie, which was good, not great. We had um, Lego Ninjago movie, which was okay, kind of mediocre. This is definitely better. This is at least as good as the Lego Batman movie, if not a little bit better because it has more going on, more it's trying to do than the Lego Batman movie was, which was really more straight. It was a straight, clever, funny comedy, you know, animated film more than anything else, right? Uh, This film is that, but a little bit more. It just doesn't achieve the heights of the original film, if that makes sense. I am probably on the same page as you. I really love the first one. The second one is not a bad film. It's not a fantastic film. It's just a good film. 
I like the brother-sister dynamic. I like Mommy Geddon. I love all the little concepts that they have. Um, I love the new characters. Mm. I want to go out and buy all the Lego kits that are related to this. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, their merchandise, of course, is very fucking good. So I, I want to go and buy all the things. Right. You know, I just wish that I had like $2,000 extra to burn and I'm just like throw down. And yeah, that might get you one set. <laughs> no, no, it's not that bad. Um, you know, something that's really cute is they have a Duplo kit of Emmett and uh, Wildstyle. And oh. it's the most adorable fucking thing you've ever seen. Oh. And it's like, I just, I, you know, seeing the, I love films that play with toys mm. because, you know, that's like, that's your childhood, right? Is mm you had control over your toys mm-hmm. and you know even more so you could be this really creative person with legos yeah so i really like the creativity of the film i really like you can just see there's so much imagination from kids yeah woven into this film and that's what i really appreciate about the film yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple months when we're doing our best of the year so far, it ends up being on my list uh, for that. But I don't think it's going to be on my list at the end of the year uh, for best films of the year uh, necessarily. And, you know, when I do the best animation of the, the year, I don't think it's going to be on the, make it on the, that top 10 list either. Uh, I give this film probably a 7 out of 10 compared, you know, which puts it firmly in the very good category uh what about you yeah probably about the same i would say yeah i'd say just just seven out of ten would be good what do you think about the lego movie part two let us know we're uh interested in hearing your thoughts and feel free to send us um a spoiler discussion in your emails as well at the gibson review at gmail.com we'd love to respond to that now it's time for our main event let's move right on into our review of How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. There were dragons when I was a boy. Where they went, only a few know. Our story changed the world forever. We did it! The world's first dragon Viking utopia. Your utopia, maybe. Mine's less crowded and more sanitary. Hey, Mark, wait up! Oh my god, he's not the only one. She's a light fury. Oh, sorry. Did she just disappear? Dragon world. Toothless, go introduce yourself. Found my heart, friends Toothless has a girlfriend. <laughs> I've hunted every night, Fury, except yours. Hand him over. I will never give him up. Then I will destroy everything you love. We are no longer safe here. We all have to disappear completely off the map. We have to fight for their freedom. 
nothing without your dragon. It's you and me, bud. Always. And that was from the trailer to How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. All right, whenever we do a main review, we like to first talk about what we liked about a movie, the good, before moving on to the bad, what didn't work for us, what uh, wasn't good about a movie, before moving on to spoilers and final thoughts of whether or not the good outweighed the bad. So, first of all, Shanna, of course, this is a very, in terms of the decade, this is a self-contained trilogy the first film came out in 2010 uh, we had the second one in 2014 and now the final film in 2019 what did you like about how to train your dragon the hidden world and how did it measure up to the rest of the trilogy for you okay so i love this trilogy hmm. this is a mature honest film that shows just so much truth about humanity. It doesn't shy away. It shows us the good versus the bad. It shows us good things and bad things happening to good people and bad people. Mm. And so I think it's just this really wonderful, grounded way of being honest to kids and, you know, connecting with adults too, specifically. Because, you know, I feel like sometimes movies very very much tiptoe around human issues mm -hmm. and this film doesn't shy away from it the music was much better in number three than it was in number two although nothing compares to number one uh, there was one part where they're flying through a cave and there was a particular song piece of music that was being played and it just sang to my soul mm -hmm. and it felt like it was honoring the characters' roots, because at the end of the day, you got to remember that these are Vikings, okay. and they're of a very particular time. Mm -hmm. So compared to number two, where they added some poppy, pop musicness to mm -hmm. the piece of music, that was not respectful of the roots of the characters. Okay. I felt it's a really good trilogy to watch, and I think it's okay to watch. Like if you were to introduce it to your kid at age six or seven, maybe mm -hmm. I I feel like you could, you know okay, we're going to spend this month watching the How to Dra Train Your Dragon uh, trilogy. You know, mm. we'll watch one this weekend, another one the next weekend. I feel like it would be fine. And then as they grow, they'll understand more and more of it. Um, so I appreciate trilogies like that. I have stuff to say in spoilers, uh, but I'll hang on to that. Uh, animation techniques for this one, it was just pristine. I mean, you see fur moving, not as a solid mass, but as individual pieces of hair, mm -hmm. uh, which was just beautiful. I really appreciated that because, you know, they're in high altitudes and obviously things like that are going to get blown around. I loved seeing the village. There's, it goes through this transformation and there were just, there were so many dragons. And obviously we know that from the second movie. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no spoiler there. There's just a ton of dragons and I just want to have like a coffee book of this film with certain shots so that I can study those frames because I feel like in some shots they just they went by too fast mm. there was so much happening and I was like oh, and then it was gone so it was like I got to feel an initial gasp of air but mm. I didn't get to enjoy looking from corner to corner the rest of the image mm. I love that we got to see the dad through flashbacks 
with Hiccup. Okay. Um, because he's always going to be with Hiccup. It's it, so in that way, it's like okay, we're not shying away from what happened in number two. Okay. Where you know we're showing you what life can be like if somebody that you love has passed away. So I like. Well, that. it is just a normal thing of like a parent's always a part of you, yeah. and you know, it, really, we're talking about memories and how some of the memories and lessons or things that the, that parent may have been working towards, uh, can you can pick up where they left off. I think the rest that I have to say, uh, I'm a little nervous, so I'll just wait until spoilers. Okay. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed the animation, the costuming, and all the characters, and I love the transformation of the three films, and I love how the characters are from the beginning of this film to the end, which we'll talk about in spoilers. So you thought this was a, a worthy finale to the trilogy? Oh, I was incredibly satisfied with the very end of the film. Okay, and uh, did, how did this compare to the rest of the films in the trilogy? I like each film for something very specific, mm-hmm. but I think my favorites are one and three. Mm-hmm. And so I guess... I think number one is still number one. <laughs> okay. But then number three is the second favorite. Gotcha. So I, I like this film. I definitely think it is a, a, a good end. It does not miss the mark. It's not a disappointment in any way. Uh, we're not talking Toy Story 3 levels here, but it is uh, definitely a solid, solid film. And... You know, I rewatched the first two recently, and I remember really, really liking the second one at the time, but not being as engaged with it uh, more recently when I watched it. Uh, it's still a fine film. You're absolutely right. This trilogy is just a step above just about anything else that, certainly anything else DreamWorks has put out. You know, and I'm, I'm saying that as a fan of the Kung Fu Panda trilogy. But this one is aiming for something more. It's not. It's it's um very story driven, very character driven, not humor driven. If that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas most animated films, especially DreamWorks films, are more humor driven, and where it's all about laughs and minutes. It's all about the gags. It's all about pratfalls or or silly jokes. Right. A lot of the times, uh, How to Train Your Dragon is definitely reaching for more. And this is no exception, and it achieves more, I think. Uh, it achieves that. Now, and also, the, I will say, the trailer makes it look a little more generic than the film actually is. I wasn't necessarily excited about this film based on the trailer. It looked like it's just another guy as the villain who's going after dragons, yada, yada, yada. And there is actually a little bit more going on there. And if Murray Abraham actually provides a great villain, I actually liked his voice work and the characterization of the animation of this character. He has some really great little movements that are very... There's a kind of acting choices you would see a live-action villain make, basically. And this is animation, just facial expressions, gestures, those kinds of things. And there's even a scene where he is driven, he's absolutely irritated by a character. And it is one of the funniest scenes because of his facial reactions, right? It's like being a parent. Right. <laughs> and, and his face is not is, is turned away from the character that's annoying him. And it just, it just works so well. So... Yeah, I really enjoyed even the villain in this. I have a lot of issues 
with the movie. I'll try to remember uh, in a moment here and in spoilers. But I think it's very solid. And the last five, ten minutes of the movie did finally get me as it tries to reflect certain things we saw in the original film. So, yeah. And also, I think the animation is great. It's actually kind of cool to see the characters aged a little. But, yeah, I want to get into other things. So, Shanna, was there anything that didn't work for you? Uh, What was the bad in the film? Gosh, I do wish that the music was more consistent, more epically consistent. Okay. There's just, you know, one part, you know, that I held on to because I was like, oh, thank God, they're, like, honoring... You know, sure, right. The characters. So I, I wish that the music was just more. Uh, it just doesn't compare to number one, right? Uh, something else mm-hmm. that I, I agree. Uh, before we move on, yeah. I will say absolutely the score. I, I actually was less impressed than you are about the score. Um, I was actually surprised to see that it was John Powell that did the score because I was like, my God, is this like some other guy trying to be John Powell? Because it's just not. It's just not grabbing me. It's not memorable. Like, there are two, three pieces from the original that really, like, are memorable and love. Uh, I love and really stirring uh, pieces. And there's nothing like that in this film for me. So I really was not impressed with the score uh, in this film. Yeah. You know, that's maybe... That might be my one thing. Really? Uh, maybe after hearing what you say, maybe I'll be like, oh, you know, you have a good point. Um, I know that, you know how it just, it feels like this epic tale in number three. Mm. It feels like there's this epicness to it. Mm. And we don't get to hear or see a lot about the main characters, all the characters, you know. We're, We're just really seeing maybe four in the spotlight. Yeah. And... I am okay with that, even though I feel a little starved to have more. Mm. I'm okay with it because I know that there's a TV show on Netflix where they really do expand on the characters. Okay. The animation style is not my favorite to look at, but the, the, the writing and the story is still there. Okay. So I guess that's all I have for right now. What, what didn't you like? Well, glad you brought up the characters because one of the things I forgot to mention was how I liked how you know during the trilogy I feel like a lot of there's all these uh, supporting characters you know these friends and I feel like for the most part there isn't a whole lot to them they're kind of sidelined uh, to varying extents but most especially the twins and I feel like in this film you actually get to see more of the twins uh, which I really appreciated because they've been they they haven't been given a lot to do and they're given more to do in this film so I like that. However, as a result, Jonah Hill's character isn't given a lot except to be, you know, try to be macho still. And he has not grown. <laughs> yeah, there isn't a whole lot uh, to him in this film in that regard. Uh, Christopher Mintz Plass's character, I feel like he had way more to do in the first film than in this film where he was like this, uh, he was like this RPG character you know who knew all the stats and was able to like you know do all these levels right not so much in this film and even craig ferguson's character is sidelined quite a bit in in this film as well you could say son of whatever um craig 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 ferguson's character is the the blacksmith 
Yeah, him too, actually, by Kit uh, Harrington. He, he doesn't have a whole lot oh, to is do. Is that Kit Harrington's character? Yeah, yeah okay. from, he was introduced in the second one. Yeah. And you could argue that Astra doesn't necessarily have a whole lot to do in this film either, maybe more than some of the others, but uh, mostly she's there to be Hiccup's support and be Hiccup's partner. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't do a whole lot herself in this film. I will say I liked, I was surprised by their relationship in this film, um, and I was satisfied with the resolution of that relationship in this. But you spend time with these characters, you want to make sure that they're, they, they have things to do and are well-developed, or, or, you know, they're not, their time isn't wasted. And I'm not sure that's necessarily the case in this film. Another issue is for me, as much as I like the villain, I had issues with the villain. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to try to approach this without being spoilerly. I will just say, like, his plan doesn't necessarily make sense. In what his, his actions conflict with what he's said to be and what his plan is. He's said to be a hunter of dragons. And yet we only... Uh, hmm. L- yet we see him trap dragons, let's say, more than kill dragons. And I'm left kind of wondering, okay, well, what's the plan here? And um, maybe this is, maybe you want to dive into this more in spoilers. I don't know. But I really kind of felt like when you really thought about it, it his plan doesn't make a whole lot of sense and is in conflict with, with what his reputation is as a character. So, yeah, that I had a little bit of issue with with that, and also the other big thing. I remember I'm trying to remember everything I said to you when we talked about the movie afterwards. Yeah. One of the other things is you have a lot of battles with Vikings, right? A lot of Vikings having fights, and it really stood out to me more than in any other of the films in the trilogy how absolutely bloodless this movie is. Like there, n- practically nobody dies. Yet you have these these fights, and I felt like uh, I don't know. It, it felt like there was no stakes to these fights because all they were doing were clunking people on the head, if anything, or just throwing them off a boat. And I didn't really feel like there was any sense of danger or any stakes per se. Um, Is that really such a bad thing? Out of all the films that we have, I don't know. Really, such a bad thing. It really, it really started to nag me during the course of the movie. These are supposed to be warriors. Just you know, it's a warrior culture, and I don't know. It felt, it felt very cartoony, and and, and slightly inconsistent with everything else to me. So that kind of stood out to me. Well, it's a nitpick. It's, a, it is a nit I'm picking, yeah, but it is, yeah. um, it is Maybe. worth mentioning. Uh, didn't someone lose their tooth or something? Like it. I mean, if something like that I is very minor. Something like that happened. You might be thinking of a foreign film we watched recently where someone got kicked in the face and lost his tooth. Oh, wait, you're right. That's where it's coming from. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sick, guys, that I can't keep them straight. Yeah. Um, no, I, like, okay, I get that you need to nitpick something, but I am completely fine with this one not having that, actually. Yeah. And, I, you know, the story of growth is really what's important here i think Mm -hmm. and it's like that's why i said i would totally feel comfortable showing my five-year-old all three of these films Mm. you know and it's nice i mean it's nice to have a break from that crap you know i mean i guess and it does in you know of course credit where credit's due this this film of all the movies you might show a grade schooler 
You know, this series doesn't talk down to them. Yeah. And it doesn't, like, play down to them, for the most part. I, you know, I, I stand by what you say, that these, this is probably among the creme de la creme of animated films that you could show a grade schooler, you know? Even, I, I could even argue maybe it's even better for even a preteen, necessarily, you know? But I'm with you there. I hear you there. I, I agree. Even I agree. though there's bad guys. Mm-hmm. All the characters, you know, that are, for lack of a better term, the good guys. Yeah. You, they really, through these films, you really see how they make the importance of respecting one another. Yeah. And being okay with one another. Mm-hmm. Maybe with the exception of the twins, but that's like sibling rivalry. Right. Um, they make it a really important part of their storytelling. And that's why I'm okay with, you know, we don't see blood or we don't see someone physically die. You know, we see something like that, you know, prior. You know, the the one part where, you know, Hiccup and Astrid are being peer pressured by the village, you know, not just by one person to get married. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of pressure. If you have a lot of people telling you get married, get married, get married, or do whatever, X, Y, Z, you're... You know, you're going to eventually break and be like, oh, maybe I sh- should. Maybe this is all that matters right now. And you see Astrid and Hiccup be very honest with each other. Like, you know, Hiccup's like, well, is that something you want to do? Kind of, mm-hmm. you know, effect. And Astrid's like, oh, no, we're not ready for that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. And right. And they leave it. Sure. And it's like, so there's all these beautiful principles of respect being shown here yeah in different way whether it's for animals letting the animal come letting the dragon come to you or with human to human so, no I, I agree with you uh, i so agree I'm with okay you with yeah because i want i would much if there was maybe i wouldn't be able to show my kid that film then mm. my little kid and quite frankly this would be a good trilogy to grow up with because of those principles that get that are made so important in this trilogy those are all really great points. Uh, so before we get into spoilers, do you think the good outweighs the bad in this film? Oh, yes, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. You? Yes. I don't even think that it's a 50-50 situation here, even though there's more I'll try to remember to get into in a moment here uh, worth discussing. I think it's a very good film. I think it uh, is a good closer to the trilogy, and and it's definitely worth if you're going to go to the theater with your kids this is the one to go take them to you know if if um if you can't see lego movie part two or you already have this is even better i would say than lego movie part two let's move into spoilers and our final thoughts for how to train your dragon the hidden world right now if you uh, you haven't seen the film, you want to see it, skip ahead in the show notes to Film Faves in about five, ten minutes uh, from now. So, uh, spoilers will begin now. Uh, Shanna, I have several thoughts that I'm going to try to dis- bring up and discuss. I'd like us to discuss in a few minutes' time. Uh, do you have anything first that you want to bring up? Yeah, I will say that the thing that I liked about the bad guy, the hunter, mm-hmm. was that we got an answer as to why Hiccup is why we believe that Hiccup is the only one left. You mean Toothless? Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Because Hiccup definitely is not the only Viking. No, but he is the only Hiccup. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we 
finally get an answer as to why Toothless is the only one. It's because mm. someone was specifically killing. Hunting and killing, yeah. yeah. And I appreciated hearing that because that that's, you know, I would imagine that that's realistically what would be going on. Right. So I appreciated that. I also appreciated the theme of letting go. Being okay where, you know, Hiccup and uh, Toothless both have worlds that they need to lead. They both have people that, uh, you know. They have their purposes. They have their purposes. It's very oh, clear. And it's not necessarily to. being together. Yeah. And they have to let go of each other. Mm. And, oh God, that's so hard. Yeah. And if you put it into real life context, like, okay, if you're just a kid oh, and your, your friend is going to move away, it is hard to let go. You know, if you're thinking as a parent and a child, it's hard to let go of your child. I think the thing about that theme is that's one of the things that makes this film one worth returning to as you get older and older and older. Because that is a, a struggle, a fact of life that you will come to when you're a kid, just with someone moving away maybe... When you're a teen with, you know, going away to college or whatever, different aspects of your life. Um, When you're an adult, even in your 20s or 30s, having friends that just go in separate ways or they have their own career path. They have to move away um, or whatever. It is definitely a theme that makes this film worth returning to over the course of your life and does not limit it to just your childhood. Yeah, and that's why that's like a big reason I appreciate this third film, you know, Mm -hmm. so much. Mm -hmm. One thing that I had a problem with was the the crazy ass twin that got. I mean, they're both crazy, but Mm -hmm. the girl twin. Oh, let's see. Is she rough? Not I forget their names, but yes, Kristen Wiig's character. They're both. What about her? I really wish, you know, because obvious it's obvious she doesn't think, and she led the bad guys to them. Yes. And I really wish that something else got said, but obviously I get that time didn't allow for anything to happen. I just wish that something could have been said that would make her really stop and think about her behavior. Ah. Um, and it would be corrected and we would somehow see that in the end. Yeah. Just in a slight way. I think it just needed a little more attention yeah. from writers. Yeah. And, and then it would have been they, I know they could have come up with something, but something basically where she sees the consequences of her actions. I could, I see yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, there. I yeah. wish that that had happened. <clears throat> she could still be the goofball she is. Yeah, yeah. But a more careful goofball. Sure. Know? Yeah. So I wish that that would get corrected. That was the sure. one thing that maybe pissed me off. I loved when they were all saying goodbye to each other, and how wonderfully respectful it was. I mean, so you're not only getting. Hiccup and Toothless saying goodbye to each other. Oh, you're all getting, the dragons yeah, and all the you're Vikings. Each uh-huh. person yeah. and their dragons gotcha. saying goodbye to each other. Yeah. And it's like in this mass effect, and it's the most powerfully upsetting thing for me. Yeah. <laughs> like emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Because they have to do what's going to be best for each other. Yeah. And that's what you know the result is: is letting go. I loved seeing the village at the end, covered in snow and. Uh, the costuming we got so much different costuming in this film i think we maybe got three or four outfit outfits for each character you know yeah the main what six and i just speaking about the very end of the film 
I appreciated seeing how they got married and had a family so much. Uh, Hiccup and Astrid you're yeah, talking about. Hiccup and Astrid. Uh-huh. I appreciated seeing that so much. Yeah. Like, had they not shown us how they would end up yeah. a few years from now, I would have been really upset. You know, I needed that closure because I knew it was going to happen because you can see that it's going to happen, you know, but I sure. wanted something to help me close it. So I don't necessarily think I would have been mad had I not seen anything like that. Uh, but I think that that epilogue was a nice touch that they didn't ever, they didn't have to do. And there's so many things within that epilogue that they didn't have to do that really takes this movie up a notch, you yeah. know? Uh, the fact that <clears throat> they get a lot of the animalistic natures so so accurately. So to set it up, Hiccup's family, he has a family now with Astrid, they're on a boat, they're heading towards the Hidden World, which at this point, we haven't even talked about the Hidden World, Toothless, and his partner, which we also haven't even talked about, the Light Fury, are, are reigning this kingdom. And for whatever reason, they're on the outside of it. And they see the ship coming, and Toothless immediately gets this, like, this natural defensive way about him, right? Not sure about these humans coming. And he gets on the boat, not sure about these humans. And it's not until Hiccup does the right thing for Toothless to realize it's him. And and also, the kids, of course, they're terrified that Hick, their father's going to get eaten alive in front of them, <laughs> right? Which is which you know was a very well, was still a possibility. Now, any other film, you think, oh, like Toothless is immediately going to recognize him, going to hop along like a little puppy and lick his face and all this sort of stuff. That that does not happen. And <clears throat> the fact that they don't do that is remaining true to certain uh, nature of animals that I thought was really impressive for them to do. And then the fact that the kids, you know, the, the, it's not like Toothless is automatically go, oh, these are your kids. I love them. And it goes around in a circle and licks them or anything like that, right? No, the kids have to approach, put their hand out, and let Toothless come to them. And, you know, the, all these little, little touches are really impressive touches that I think, like, are with, worth recognizing, you know, that that I think are very easy to not even put any thought into, you know. But the fact that the animators and the writers put the thought into making sure that this happened a specific way uh, that grounded and remained truthful to animal nature it is, was really impressive. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Again, there comes that respect again. Yeah, right. right. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, let's see, what else? Really briefly, I'm sure there's a couple things that I wanted to uh, address. Now I'm now I'm forgetting all the things I wanted to talk about. Oh, the hell with it. Was there anything else that you thought was worth talking about in this film? <laughs> well, I thought that the the depiction of wild dragons was beautiful. There we go. The oh, dragons. Okay, so <laughs> the villain is in control of dragons, right? What? The villain is in control of dragons. Oh, of that specific breed. Well, any he, he has he has a formula that he that allows him to control dragons. Now, one of the things that surprises me is you know you think oh the solution is just he has these henchmen dragons right he has like three of them and you think oh the solution is just somehow take that 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 formula which is in a vial that's injected in them off of them and then have his dragons turn on him and it doesn't do that which is. You know, there's something to be said about that. It's a little surprising, and and you know, it doesn't 
go that direction. It's unpredictable. I think but, that's maybe a time thing. I feel like maybe. I feel like the characters' true nature they like hiccup and then they would have tried to help, but they couldn't mm-hmm. help the dragons. And those dragons are the only ones that end up dying in yeah. this film, right? I don't think maybe there's one other death in the film. I don't. Yeah, there's one death which is in the trailer of the film that we ever see. The and it's the only one where the villain actually kills something. It's this um, dragon that's charging him, right? And that's the other thing that surprised me is you never see the villain killing dragons, never actually hunting dragons. He's he's capturing dragons. It's, it's like the, the, the villain in the second one um, all over again where they're capturing dragons. And that, that surprised me. I was like, well, what, what the hell are you going to do with them? You know? And I know you, you had said he has, like, some other leaders or whatever he's going to give there them There were to. other people who were trying to conquer the world, like you can see. Yeah. It's kind of this team, and he was going to give them certain dragons. And the, I think the deal was that he gets to have the Night Fury and the Light, Light Fury. I, I, presumably, he's going to butcher Toothless. Well, I think he realizes that Toothless is the Omega and that there's more power Alpha. than... For fuck's sake. I think that he realizes... What Toothless is. Uh-huh. Toothless is the king of dragons. Uh-huh. And that's why he doesn't necessarily kill Toothless right away. Okay. I think he was going to explore that a little more. I wish that was more clearly detailed in the writing. I understand. I think, I think that's one of the only things where the writing suffers is the villain's motivations and what the villain's plan is. We're kind of moving along because, like, the only sense of actual tension you know, is whether or not these there's any danger to these dragons and, and what happens if they're captured. But I really wish that, I think it would have made the film a little bit stronger if they tightened that up a little bit and made that a little clearer. That's probably one of my biggest, what do you call it, not gruffs, but beefs uh, against the film at all, aside from the score not being all that outstanding. Is, is just like tighten up and make a little bit clearer, sharpen, I should say, the villain's motivations and actions. Yeah. That would have really helped take the villain to another level and made it a really great villain. You I know? think this is a common issue with many films, though, that people think, that I think, I could be wrong, but I feel like writers or producers, whoever's part of the film, feel like oh well they're not going to notice faults with the villain mm. because it's a villain mm. they don't want the villain to be perfect we, we would like the villain to be perfect yeah it's scarier that way <laughs> i think maybe they're just trying to balance a lot of other things yeah. too and I'm yeah sure this was a huge team yeah oh no doubt but yes the end does actually touch me because they do callbacks to the original film with when the light fury saves hiccup and it looks down at hiccup a certain way that was the first twinge i got where i was like oh my gosh and then um there's a couple of things uh when hiccup is saying goodbye to toothless he like removes his hand it's like a reverse of when hiccup and toothless first came together in that beautiful montage in the first film um like i i i started to get touched and a little bit moved in the last few minutes of the film Oh, there. I think my 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 favorite sad moment was when Hiccup eventually got the Light Fury released, mm. 
and Sid save him and you can see this look on his face where he's just it's the ultimate he's had to let go and be okay yeah 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 and you see him falling and he's like he's accepted his fate presumably to his death yeah uh-huh. and that was the most amazing thing I think I've ever seen in animation because mm. it was like you're showing a character accepting fully yeah. that they're going to die mm. for the love of saving someone else yeah and it was just just so beautiful so beautiful indeed and with that I'm really glad he ended up being okay <laughs> that was a bonus <laughs> And with that, that is our review of How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Uh, what are your thoughts on the film? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. All right, it is now time for the final segment of... Oh, no, you didn't do that right. What? All righty then. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, indeed time for our final segment of the podcast, which is Film Faves. Uh, film Faves, for those of you who are not familiar, is a segment inspired by a feature on the Gibson Review blog where uh, we count down our respective lists of our 12 favorite films around a particular topic. Usually we're marching backwards through time year by year. Every once in a while we have a particular theme. Now because the Gibson Review is doing a year-long feature where we're counting down the best of the decade genre by genre leading up to a full list of 100 films at the end of the year, we are doing an occasional film phase segment inspired by that and following suit with the respective article coming out each month. This time it is the best animated films of the decade. And uh, we've seen two of this year's animated films. Looking ahead, there's a couple other animated films coming out this year. Toy Story 4 probably is the only like notable, really notable one. And that's a big question mark, what that's going to look like. Since that's a big question mark for you. It's, well, I think for a lot of people, because Toy Story 3 um, ended things so perfectly, so perfect, yeah. there's uh, a lot of question mark of, okay, how, how worthwhile is going back to the well here? Uh, are we just milking this too much? So... You know, we'll see how that goes. We'll probably talk about it in a future episode of The Movie Lovers. But here we will be counting down our favorite animated films of the decade. Um, As such, though, uh, not only will this give you an idea of our tastes in film, but also we'll try to point out to you when a movie is available to stream and where it's available to stream. The interesting thing is I think Disney in particular is uh, the the problem with this. There's not very many on this list that's available to stream. I noticed that um, it seemed like all pretty much all Disney movies had been pulled from streaming services. I'm guessing it's to prepare for up, Disney's upcoming exclusive streaming service. So, is that not released yet? I'm, I don't think it has yet. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not really sure when it's going live. Uh, but, so, uh, but generally, there's, there's a handful of films. In this case, you'll have to rent or hunt them down mostly. But we'll note when something is available to stream. With that, Shanna, tell us a little bit about what it was like formulating your list. Did you notice that certain years were better than others for animation? Uh, what was, what's your list like? Well, it looks like, you know, I went with what makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. It looks like 2016 was maybe a good year. There's oh. About one, two, three, four films in there. Wow. I think. That's pretty, maybe it's three. 
Yeah. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Shanna is still sick, ill so. from two months now. She's been ill, so. Um, it looks like you know, you know, Disney's there, Pixar's in there. There's there's uh, there's uh, a couple other guys in there too. All the usual suspects. Yeah, but there's a couple of surprises there, I think. Yeah. And for me, I tried to. Try to take into consideration other cinema, other worldly animated cinema too, and you know, it may or may not be reflected here, but you know, Disney and Pixar, the tried and true. I feel like they had a really great decade. Maybe more Disney Animation Studios than Pixar, but twenty there's there's a couple years that you'll notice, uh, not just one. I think 2011 was the only year that was lacking in animation and i think i managed to get one film that from that year that squeaked in that and 2013 i think are the two weakest years this decade of animation so but let's dive right on in what's your number 12 favorite film of the decade my number 12 is brave and that's from 2013 and i just I love Merida. I mm-hmm. love that she's feisty. I love the mother-daughter relationship, quite frankly, because how do you deal with, you know, a kiddo that's just so fucking strong-willed? Mm. Uh, you kind of just grit your teeth and hang on for dear life. <laughs> I, I also love that we were seeing a princess in a different country. Mm-hmm. And she isn't your typical-looking princess, you know. She's got the wildest of wild hair. She wants to be free. And it's, I know Jasmine wants to be free too, but it's kind of... From Aladdin, you're talking about. Yeah, from Aladdin. And again, it's also a different culture that's being depicted. Yeah. But I really, I really liked seeing, um, you know, this kind of Celtic depiction. Yeah, which you don't see in most Disney-owned properties. And really, there's only one other animation studio that I saw that actually kind of depicted this that even re- that region in any way. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> just before I finish, uh, just you know, on an end note, I also love, you know, that they they did their best to conceptualize the idea of a purpose, kind of with a a sort of semi spiritual connection. You know, mm. it's hard for me to explain, but it is one of the different films princess-wise, and mm. I quite like this one. Yeah, you're a big fan of Brave. I, I was, I'm surprised it's so low on your list, but I'm not surprised it's on your list at all. Uh, my first film to kick this whole list off, number 12, it is one of my only ones that's available to stream right now. It's on Netflix. It is 2017's Coco. Now, this spot was actually the hardest spot in my list to try to fill because I had about three different films battling for this spot. But I went with Coco because I remembered the theme song, Remember Me, which is a beautiful song. And and it led me to remember how beautiful this story is and how well done this film is um, about about you know our lasting legacies about family about what our family members and our ancestors can mean to us um, and of course about music as well and, and and Mexican culture too you know this this film's very uh, respectful and, and goes to great lengths to be respectful of its culture that's depicting which I think is really great especially in in this um, this latter half of the decade which is so disrespectful of of people of that of that culture or any culture other than what 
Fair to say, fair to say. So uh, I think it's a beautiful film, and it's worth it's it's definitely worth going back to. I, I kind of want to revisit it because it's just been long enough that I think it'll still be fresh enough again for me. Um, and it has a nice has a couple uh, good surprises in it as well. So that's Coco, available on Netflix from 2017. My next film is Tangled from 2010. No kidding. Yeah. So speaking of uh, you know princesses who are you know, fighting for their freedom, mm-hmm. essentially. We've got this telling of Rapunzel. And when I first heard that they were going to make a story about Rapunzel, uh-huh. I was so pissed. I was like, I don't even want to know how you're going to do that. I didn't watch it in the cinema. I regretted it afterwards. My brother came home with the film, had it ready for us to watch together uh, after I got back from work. And I love the songs in this. They're very folksy songs. I don't even and remember them. Alan Menken does the, the score. Okay. Uh, it makes me very happy when Alan Menken is around. <laughs> so, but, you know, there's a lot of comedy in it, and there's also sacrifice in it. You know, so I, I really enjoyed this one. Very cool. My number 11 favorite film is probably the one that I wish I was able to revisit the most. Just to freshen up my memory a little bit. Uh, it is, and it's hard to find. That's why I wasn't able to. And we don't have a copy of it yet. It is an anime film from 2012 called The Wolf Children, Ami, and Yuki. This is a film that my brother-in-law showed us and... For whatever reason, I was a little bit hey, he's got two resistant. points in a row right now. <laughs> Very good. I, I was a little bit resistant to it for whatever reason, but I was absolutely taken and blown away by this powerful anime about two siblings, and it's just uh, it's just an incredibly moving story. Uh, it's one of the best anime I've seen this decade, and it's worth hunting down if you can. Absolutely. Um, that's uh, the Wolf Children, Ami and Yuki from 2012. What is your number 10, your 10th favorite animated film of the decade? My 10th favorite film is Zootopia. Oh, is it? Yes, from 2016. This is a great film about, you know, all these different animals that no longer prey on each other mm-hmm. so they can all coexist mm-hmm. and you've got everything from I, I think you've got insects although I don't remember seeing insects them. what did I say no yeah just making sure we're enunciating insects okay. just making it very clear this is not a Disney film with incest insects are in the film <laughs> no so problem anyway all the way up to a tiger yeah a polar bear uh, and everything in between so you've got your main character who's a bunny another character that's a fox and they've got all these different, you know, even though they're all technic, all these animals are technically living in peace, they do have these sort of primal prejudices against each other. Mm. So they don't never trust a fox, have fox repellent. It's like, ooh, right, right, you know, right. so it's just, it's very interesting and told through animals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like this film. I, this is another one where I'm like, I want a coffee book of this. Because there's so many little details uh, that are happening in each, you know, in a lot of frames. Very true. And unlike uh, some movies, it's not about gags in the details either. Like, no, and there's a mystery. Yeah. And there's adult references, too, to adult shows. 
uh, which is very fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very cool. My 10th favorite film is also from the Disney Animation Studio. It's from 2012. It is Wreck-It Ralph. Um, oh, great. Yes. I w- it was a toss-up between Wreck-It Ralph and its sequel. Uh, and I ended up going with the original just because of the pure joy of seeing all these different video game characters uh, together and kind of the, the look and find aspect of trying to see all these different animated characters in these big scenes uh, together, these big um, lobbies or and what have you. coffee book or where's Waldo book. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, but also like you, you at, the, at the heart of this, you have this story, this friendship of these two uh, completely fictional characters, Ralph and uh, Penelope, uh, voiced by John C. Riley and Sarah Silverman, respectively. Both give great performances. Sarah Silverman's just a spectacular voice actor in in this uh, film and in the sequel as well. Very sweet, very touching film. You know, it's about helping... You know, helping support your friend to what they need, what their needs are, what their aspirations are as well. And not being a selfish dick about, you know, things either, you know. Um, you know, there's a particularly heartbreaking scene that happens around the you know, halfway mark of the film or so in this that I think about that really is illustrative of um, this conflict of the greater good versus supporting your friend and, and you know a lot of pain that can happen sometimes that tension that can happen even in real life that can lead to damaged friendships um so anyway there's a lot of resonating things but also the pure joy of just seeing video game characters having fun together on an anime uh, in an animated film as well so that's why it makes my list uh, wreck it ralph from 2012 my next film is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse from 2018. Very cool. Oscar winner. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Exciting. Best best animated movie yeah. of tw- of the year, yeah. So this is that that fun film where there's a bunch of different Spider-Man uh, and women from different universes and they're all coming into one realm and they have to help each other. Right. And what a great concept and stick around for the credits. Yes, yes, the post-credits is what you're saying. Yes, I I had to remember for a second there. I forgot about that. My ninth favorite film is also Disney. It is 2016's Zootopia. Oh, great. uh, Which revisited recently for the purposes of this list. And, you know, I think there's, first of all, this thing really moves. And um, it's really hard to look away and hard not to care about the characters in this film. You have, particularly, you have Judy Hopps, who's a fantastic character, one of the best female characters of the decade. Um, I feel probably easily top 20, top 10 material. You know, she doesn't give up. She has her dreams. She's very optimistic. Uh, but she learns and she grows also through this, and she uh, gains a certain degree of ingenuity and smarts when she's faced with very difficult obstacles and and jaded and sort of cynical world that um, lies underneath the surface of what is essentially supposed to be this animal utopia, you know? And of course, um, Jason Bateman as the fox is really great in it too. And there's something under the surface of this fox. I think both of these characters, it turns out their prejudices or their preconceptions are ruled by a personal experience uh, too, that has left either emotional or physical scars. That's really great and really impressive. The thing about this film also is that most movies would take take a concept to a certain extent 
but this film goes even further with it and the the degree that it goes further with the concept uh, just makes it even more impressive as an allegory you know and it, and it came out i know this wasn't part of the concept but it came out in a year that was you know we we're seeing a rash of uh, police on minority crime you know and you know there's some of that is kind of reflected in in this film as well and so it makes it one of the most important and most timely and relevant animated films so and all the more impressive that it came from disney animation studios so it is my ninth favorite still only my ninth favorite so we have a lot of good animated films coming up here my next film is how to train your dragon the hidden world we've just spoken about that it ranks pretty high it's the best trilogy that I've got. Maybe the second best trilogy that I've got in my list. Oh. Uh, so mm, wonder what that other one could <laughs> yeah, be. Yeah, it could be anything. And we've just really spoken about how wonderful and respectful this franchise is. Indeed. My next film is Big Hero 6 from 2014. Now, we haven't seen much come from this since, but... The, it was actually pretty exciting to see an animated film come from the Disney Marvel merger. And it really worked well, actually. This was a very obscure Marvel comic, Big Hero 6. So presumably they had a playground that they could just do whatever they wanted with these characters. And they created or they, they utilized some really fun character designs and really neat superhero characters. Of course, this is the film where uh, something happens uh, with a teenager's brother and it sparks him after a, a, a period of grief. One thing leads to another and he ends up forming a superhero team that um, ends up trying to take down a villain that has ties to his brother's demise. Again, you know, I'm a superhero fan, so this film had to be on the list. I couldn't take I couldn't take it off. I couldn't leave it off the list. It's fun. It works very well as a superhero movie, but also it has some really impressive core emotional shit going on with in the first act the death of a sibling and the grief that comes from that. So it's very impressive, and it's just one in a series of films that Disney Animation Studios made this decade that really helped take things up another notch thematically and emotionally. So that's Big Hero 6 from 2014, my eighth favorite film. I think that was really well said. Thank you. My number seven is Your Name from 2016. Such a good film. Uh, this also made my, I think I love films romance films oh love stories yeah god i'm so a couple sick. episodes back yeah yeah <laughs> i'm really trying to break through here guys that, that's a really great love story uh between the, you know two people that are in different timelines they just go and they keep it's a body swap movie yeah a body swap movie better than freaky friday so go or that one or out. the lake house even yes it's like the lake house plus you know freaky friday kind right of set up and it's it's really awesome and the animation is just pristine. It's beautiful. It's yeah. Oh my God! The clouds, the sky, that just everything, you know, is just gorgeous. That's a beautiful film. Absolutely. Speaking of beautiful films, I can't believe it's this far down the list. But my seventh favorite animated film is 2010's Toy Story Three. Why is that so? Hard? 
You know, I had to think about, you know, with this list, it really did come down to, okay, would I rather watch this movie or this movie, you know, if given the choice? You know, the whole hugs a lot plot sometimes doesn't necessarily, like, it's not my favorite plot per se. It's a great villain character, but sometimes, you know, well, I'm like, yeah. the first one where the toys are specifically the villain. Sort of. You kind of got that in Toy Story 2. Sort of, but only... It's know, a it's reveal. Very, it's very it's very human-based evil, you know? Yeah, yeah, I hear, I hear what you're saying. There's, that doesn't, whereas that's not a factor in this film at all. Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's the toy by itself. Right, yeah, I hear where you're coming from there. Yeah, but my God, what an absolutely beautiful and moving and wonderful close to a trilogy. I, I just, it's, it's, it's such a... It, it, it's the perfect, perfect sequel, perfect way to close a story, and that's what makes Toy Story Four such a big challenge. Because for a while there, it really did seem like we were just going to return to these friends every once in a while in shorts, and that was going to be we're going to leave I the love legacy that behind. So much yeah, the yeah. There's so much that Toy Story Three did that seemed like that's what we were going to do, and just leave it be. It, it's a, just wonderful storytelling a great film you might see it in the in the article coming up in the next couple weeks we'll see but uh it is right now my seventh favorite animated film of the decade my number six is the lego movie from Mm. 2014 i love this film i love what it reveals i love its story Mm -hmm. i think it's so important you know, it could go either way. Maybe as a kid, the interpretation is different. It's like you're not alone. Just keep fighting through. Keep doing what you need to do as a kiddo. And then as a parent, it's this shocking reminder that, remember, you used to be a kid too. And remember, connection time and being present with your kid is the most important thing at the end of the day. All told through Lego characters and a wonderfully, beautifully annoying song. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And also about being unique as well, of course. My number six halfway mark favorite animated film is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse from last year. Yeah, no, this thing is undeniably great. You know, Spider-Man is one of the only solo superhero characters to have an animated film. And I dare say this is the best one. I dare say out of the seven Spider-Man films I think that have been made, this is this is easily one of the top three. I go back and forth. What is what is the best one? I still think Spider-Man 2 is the best um, Spider-Man movie. But anyway, the, the, the only thing I say about this film is it's not the movie to introduce Spider-Man to the kids because I do feel like, you know, it's like going into the middle of a four-part story arc or whatever of a comic book where you're like what's going on wait who's these characters like it's, it's very odd to be introduced to the world of spider-man and comic books with it being oh there's like multiple spider-man that could be very confusing to a young kid but and that is also one of those reasons why this movie seemed impossible to be to be a film you know, because your assumption, especially 5, 10, 20 years ago, is, oh, we'd never be able to have the multiverse in a movie. Audiences would never get it. It'd be so hard to make sense of it. But this movie handles it so well and balances all the characters so well. Villains and heroes, 
an exceptional film. So that's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse from last year. My number five favorite film of the decade is Song of the Sea. Then a young Irish boy and his little sister, Saoirse, a girl who could turn into a seal, go on an adventure to free the fairies and save the spirit world. Mm -hmm. This is by the company Cartoon Saloon. And they're the same people that did The Secret of Kells and The Breadwinner. The Breadwinner is available on Netflix. Very good uh, film. If you want to go and check that out. Mm -hmm. Very good studio. This is one of the most beautiful films that shows Celtic mythology, uh, Celtic uh, stories, beliefs, you know, however you want to look at it, you know, just insert your word there that you relate to best. The animation is so intricate and unique and beautiful. It is my favorite. And it's such a great story about brother-sister relationships and healing from a loss of a mother. Uh, very well said. My fifth favorite animated film of the decade is my only other film that's available to stream right now. It is Kung Fu Panda 2 from 2011 on HBO Now. I'm a fan of the Kung Fu Panda trilogy. I think I think it's just a trilogy. I don't think they're making another one so far anyway. No, I think they've got a couple of short films there, which uh, is kind of sweet. Interesting. So, But I think this is the best one. It's the best one because it's doing the most interesting things. Animation-wise, it's got these very interesting uh, cuts uh, to CG and 2D. It's got interesting wipes and, and slices to it. And it's also got a really great villain. Talk about an animated villain. Oh, yeah, that one was pretty Gary cool. Oldman's Peacock is spectacular. Probably one of the best animated villains of the decade. What does he do? He introduces the Industrial Revolution, so to speak, to to china you know and it's this battle of kung fu versus firearms essentially yeah, specifically to do with weaponry yes exactly it is it makes him a very interesting character and of course he is also deliciously and wonderfully played by gary Oldman with several hilarious moments such as the build-up to his first meeting of poe <laughs> and he has he's practicing the script right well, he's he's built he's 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 working on the script of what he's gonna say. The and peacock is? Yes, and it, it and when the moment finally happens, it completely gets undercut. <laughs> it's hilarious, you know. It's just a hey, you know, <laughs> you know. There's several moments like that. That's really funny. There's a moment. There's moments with a goat that he's always talking about his plans to, and the goat's chewing on his robe. He's like, stop that, you know. It's um, it's a really great villain, a really great character, and brings a lot. Watch that. It's definitely more memorable than the other villains. I actually forgot the villain in the third film. And, you know, it's not a bad villain when you rewatch the movie, but it's not, it's not the peacock in Kung Fu Panda 2. And looking through this list, there's not very many other villains of the decade that measure up to this, this character. So Kung Fu Panda 2 on HBO Now from 2011, number five on my list. My number four is Coco from 2017, available to stream on Netflix. Oh. And you already spoke about that, but something that's really beautiful to me is just you can tell how much work went into this film. Yeah. With regards to the research, respecting the culture for a change, the amount of drawing and animation of the set designs, uh, the set pieces must have been extraordinarily mm -hmm. It just it must have taken so much time yeah. when you think about everything that you're seeing in that film. It's beautiful. I love the characters. I love the twist. I love uh, just there's so much about it 
that reminds me of South African culture as well, mm -hmm. specifically the parents. So it, it's just, it's really interesting how the parental figures are just, you know, they're very, they just, they care so goddamn much. And yeah. uh, that's something that happens in South Africa too. So it's, it's very relatable. And I just, I really love this film. All right, so we're in the top four for me. And at this point, it's pretty much like my favorite per studio. My number four pick almost was my number one at one point uh, until I restructured the list. It is from 2016. It is Moana. I think it is a perfect film. I think it is arguably Disney's best film of the decade. It is. It has a wonderful songbook it, that is definitely up there among the best of Disney's songbook. Uh, several songs, all, just about all of them written or co-written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Spectacular work, How Far I'll Go, and you know, You're Welcome, uh, to even Shiny, the showstopper of, of the... Uh, and, or I should say... It's almost like a villain song, you know, even it's though the villain, villain song, yeah. even though like, that character is in the movie for like maybe 10 minutes. Yeah. It's just, it's just wonderful songwriting, beautiful animation, great, great character. Uh, Moana is one of the best Disney characters of the decade, without a doubt. It's one of the best sidekicks with Maui. Very fun character by uh, Dwayne Johnson. Uh, this is just, uh, it doesn't, it never got any better than Moana through Disney Animation Studios. So it is my fourth favorite animated film of the decade. My number three is Toy Story 3. I freaking love when, you know, you play with toys and make stories with toys. Uh, it's very easy to do as a kid. And I love when there's movies that show sort of inspiration. It's like a big Pinterest board for kids, you know. Here's how you can play with your toys. I just thought that it was a really great end to Andy's time with his toys. Yeah. And just, oh, God, it's so heartbreaking. It's so incredibly heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> we all have to leave that part of our childhood for a little bit mm -hmm. to go and do college. And, you know, we, we eventually make our way back to it, like when we have our own kids mm -hmm. or when we interact with other kids. So it doesn't go away completely. But chronologically speaking linearly speaking this this is the next stage of our life where we have to let go yeah and you know just the introduction of the new toys like I, i'm always worried about the introduction of new toys because i never know are they gonna get along right is it is it gonna look good is it gonna be harmonious like color scheme is that gonna work ah. you know like i there are a lot of things that i overly think and i just absolutely fucking love Mr. Pricklepants, because just, he's just so in there and just like so committed to playing with his kid. You know, it just it takes it so seriously. And, you know, everyone else is really chill. Like, Dottie's just like, oh, I'm just going to make sure that everyone's okay. And, like, Buttercup is just like, so, you know, welcome to her room. And it just, it makes me, it's a movie that makes me really fucking happy. And, the way that you see the lighting and the animation style change from the first one to the third one. Again, oh, yeah. It's the, kind of the same thing as How to Train Your Dragon 1 and 3. With this, it's like you look at Toy Story 1 and you're like, sometimes it's a little, Ugh, 
you know, with shadow work and light and um, shading. And then you look at number three and you're like, oh, it's like the heavens opened. So that's my favorite. My number three is my favorite Pixar film of the decade from 2015. It is Inside Out, one of the most emotionally complex and resonant films of the decade with, I mean, it's literally about emotions uh, that are anthropomorphized and all the different aspects of emotion and and memories and experiences in our lives that help make us in our formative years, our adolescence uh, in particular, you know, and it also helps us really kind of, you know, this is the, one of the great things about the film is it helps us be able to communicate our emotions and what's driving us in particular moments and help think about, okay, are we, is anger driving us? Are we fearful right now? Are we sad? You know, uh, the marriage of sadness and joy, uh, figuratively speaking, is, is uh, one of the greatest touches of the film, of course. Sadness ends up becoming every MVP. You come for joy by Amy Poehler, and you you stay and are moved by sadness um, by a woman whose name I can't remember right now, but it's just wonderful in it. Uh, So Inside Out uh, also was a good contender for number one, but it ended up being my third favorite animated film of the decade from 2015. My number two is Moana. No one does sky and water like Moana. You almost yes. rhymed there. That was pretty it good. It pretty good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so rhythmic. I just freaking love the growth that she goes through in one film. Yeah. You have trilogies, and you see a lot of gr- growth in characters in trilogies. But Moana doesn't need a trilogy, because she does it all in one film. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the depiction of, you know, ref- the reflection of other characters reflecting parts of yourself is a concept that's beautifully done in this film you know it's just it's just great mm-hmm. and i think it's also a really great film about family understanding where parents are coming from mm-hmm. when they are coming from a place of experience and fear is depicted very well in this film but then you've also got someone balancing it out who's objective mm-hmm. and that's the grandma and yeah. so best grandma ever this <laughs> 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 is like in this film and I just I love when you show loss and that you're ne- you've never really lost someone mm. so you've got Coco doing that too yeah in a way but then Moana you know grandma comes to her when she's just when Moana is just at the, her lowest of low mm-hmm. and grandma comes and she's there for her and the decision that Moana makes it doesn't matter to grandma she's like I'm still gonna love you right I'm still a part of you you won't lose me She's a twist on the wise old man character in mythology of the mythological hero, uh, hero's journey, you know, and she's a great twist on that. Well, uh, the Obi Wan, if you will, for 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 um, some people out there. Sure, and I know that you talked about like oh, blah 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 film. It's it doesn't rely on its laughs or its kicks or its stunts. Mm-hmm. I feel like Moana balances that. Yeah, they have this it does. very strong message, and then it, it has a lot of funny moments. Well, you got the you got the, um, the comic relief with the chicken. Yes, but that's not the only like funny part. I mean, you've got the grandma, you know, being herself, figuring out, oh, you tried to get on a boat, <laughs> you know, and you've injured yourself, or the grandma <laughs> telling the stories to the children. Yeah. About oh, yeah. In the beginning, and, and then chaos. 
mainstream. Right. And, you know, just really great. Awesome. Well, then the snails are so good, too. So. The crab, you mean? Yeah. The, oh, my gosh. By Germain Clement. Yeah. My second favorite animated film of the decade is my favorite DreamWorks film of the decade. I think I named their best film, perhaps. From 2010, it is How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, this film is absolutely stirring. It's gorgeous. It's uh, just beautiful. This film took us to the skies. And it was cool, an amazing, extraordinary experience. Of course, this one was in 3D at the time. And if you were lucky enough to see this thing in the big screen on 3D, to be able to fly uh, with Hiccup and Toothless was an unforgettable experience. And then on top of that, you have the extraordinary score by John Powell uh, that really helped move uh, not only our introduction to Burke, but also that beautiful montage where Toothless and Hiccup are first becoming friends and come together nose to hand. Uh, so How to Train Your Dragon is easily my second favorite film of the decade, almost my favorite film of the decade, animated film from 2010. So my favorite film of the decade is Inside Out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this is a cleansing cry. This is a happy cry. It's a sad cry. Yeah. It's a Pixar gets me cry. It's like all over the place. Yeah. I love that we're speaking about emotions. I love that we're speaking about how the brain works. I love that they threw in puberty, you know, and the loss of an emotion, yeah. the temporary loss of an emotion or two is just a really fascinating subject. And that's what Pixar needs to keep doing. Mm-hmm. They need to keep doing fascinating stories. Yeah. Things that we don't talk about that now we're going to talk about. Yeah. Or things that maybe not the world knows about and now we're going to let you know about it through something that another culture is experiencing. As opposed uh, to sequels and going back to the well. Yeah. yeah. Look, I'm okay with sequels, but when it's when it's a sequel and then another sequel and the next year's a sequel again, that's a problem. So that is my favorite. The performances, the animation, taking that that very strange concept of emotions and you know turning it into something visually tangible, beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of work. Indeed, it is. My favorite film, my favorite animated film of the decade, comes from 20th Century Fox, I believe. It is the Lego Movie from 2014. Uh, what? Again, that's your favorite. This was a spot that was wow. hot. Uh, just I just you know had four different films that were cycling through uh, this particular spot. Uh, I landed on Lego Movie just uh, first of all because of its ingenuity, its brilliance of story. Lego Movie Part Two definitely gives it away. Do not watch Lego Movie Part Two without watching the Lego Movie. By the way, I'm just going to throw that out there. If you're if you're going to see a movie that's literally called Part Two, maybe you should go see the first part for you know before then. Just just throwing out out there, because especially with this one, it's so special because what makes it great is is what it's revealed to be doing all along and i won't go into detail but you do think it is just this self-contained adventure with lego characters and it reveals itself to be a whole lot more it's a film about imagination it's a film about 
you know, play time um, with with your parents and kids. It's a, it's it's so much more. You know, let's go back and think about this. When the movie was first announced, we're going to make a movie about bricks. This really seemed like a bad idea. Like Hollywood's really stretching it thin. But Lord and Miller great directors and producers of the decade really came up with something ingenious here and also the cgi in this film looks like it's stop motion legos like the entire time it seems like the entire time it's all stop motion legos it's the cgi is incredible in this uh film so it's extraordinarily animated it's very clever very funny film it goes by quick but it also has some it takes it to another level and so much more than you expect it to be so lego movie did end up being my favorite animated movie of the decade but what are your favorite animated movies of the decade email us at the gibson review at gmail.com shanna before we talk about the next episode of the movie lovers let us know where people can find you online you can find www.shannapaxton.com S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N and you can follow whatever channel you want to from there. Okay. Uh, go to thegibsonreview.com to find all past episodes, past articles. Uh, you can also find the Best Love Stories of the Decade article, which was published a couple weeks back in February. You can find that there. And then, of course, in the next couple of weeks, you'll be able to find the best animated movies of the decade article there. So keep an eye out for that. Where you will be able to keep uh, on top of those things is on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash the Gibson Review. Um, any articles that pop up or uh, upcoming episodes will be linked on there, as well as third-party links of, and other interesting things, Mo- all movie-related. We're on Instagram now, the Gibson 99 on Instagram. I post things movie-related on there and other goings-ons. And, of course, the on Flickchart, flickchart.com slash the Gibson 99. Go ahead and follow on there and uh, see all the different, like, 30. I'm almost at 3,300. I'm almost at 3,300 now of all the movies I have seen that's theatrically released. Okay, so the next episode of The Movie Lovers, let's see here. It will be episode 51. Ah, yes, Captain Marvel, one of our most anticipated movies. That will be the main event. We'll do a review of that film, and we'll go back to our year-by-year countdown with favorite movies of 1988. That one might end up being a joint list because 1988 is actually a tough year. Uh, So feel free to... Look up that year and uh, look for your favorites ahead of time, if you'd like. Look for that episode on March 19th. In the meantime, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye. Main event. Let's move right on into our review of How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. All right. Love you. Stop. I want to move on. It's going to be like a 15-minute review now. <laughs>